0: You know, don't get into teaching because you love music. You know, you, you gotta love to teach, and then you're gonna pull all these other things with it. And if music is one of the mediums that you that you love to do it in, that's great.
1: Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation, and your host. We hear frequently So welcome to Learning Unboxed. This is Annalise Corbin, and I'm very excited because we are uh, recording an episode, once again, on the road. And we are today with Bill Manchester, um, who is a 16th year teacher, music teacher specifically, um, at Bexley at um, Cassingham Elementary School um, in Bexley, Ohio. And I'm excited to have Bill with us today. And one of the reasons I'm so excited is because I have been, lurking, stalking. I'm not exactly sure which phrase would be best for us to use um, in sort of the public space. Bill, for a a while now on his Twitter feed, because he does the most amazing things with kids in music class. So Bill, welcome.
0: Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Um, So I want to start just a little bit with um, some background for our listeners, because uh, truly I've been stalking you. Um, You know, sort of full disclosure, had music class been anything close to what you post online, and on we got to spend a little bit of time before this interview. And what I can tell you is what you see online is absolutely <laughs> real. Um, good, yeah. as, as the kids say, Mr. Manchester is awesome, so that's pretty darn exciting. So, you know, a music class, I and I had a great experience in music, I actually went on to get a, a degree in performance, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I, I have a, a wonderful memory and background, um, in school music myself so it was very very uh, a passion for me but I can tell you it didn't look anything like what you got going on <laughs> in here so uh, for uh, our listeners when we when we showed up here today the kids were uh, recording a story creating the soundtrack learning the lines playing the instruments cutting podcasts recording they were doing the whole deal mm-hmm. that's every day here
0: yeah yeah and and I hope <laughs> you know that creativity it looks it looks different, of course, you know, and not every day has the iPads and all the pieces. But but yeah, that is what we're, we're wanting to do all the time. Yeah. And then that mix of, you know, what do I have to give to them? And then where are they at already? And just kind of blending those in a way that they can get excited about.
1: Mm-hmm. So so tell us a little bit what what got you here? so you are at this point a sixteen year teacher, twelve years um, in bexley mm-hmm. what What brought you to music education in a school district
0: okay yeah well uh, my my mom's a teacher, and so I think that kind of had a lot to do with it um, and growing up, I saw her teaching a lot and then uh, she did stuff at church, and so mm-hmm. I was always you know, she was always teaching and I always saw what she was doing and she really made it, you know, was trying to make it engaging and how do I connect with these kids and and I always liked that. And the other thing was she was always a leader and she needed uh, someone to to help her out. And so early on, I was her go-to person, you know, for music. And so starting really in middle school, you know, I would come up in front of at Bible school and all of a sudden I'm the song leader and I'm leading the whole group and, you know, we're doing these songs and things like that. Um, and I just love that feeling of making music together. Um, and then just that, that sense of community and just really creating something. And I was, I was always that really excited kid. I love to create, um, love to put stuff together. And so I was, I was thinking about a career. I didn't really know that music education would look like that either. You know, mm-hmm. My, mm-hmm. I, I love my music classes too, but they looked a lot different than yeah, this. Yeah. And and so, you know, I thought I wanted to be a performer. I thought I wanted to be a rock star.
1: Everybody wants to be a rock star. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's what everybody wants to do. And so, but,
0: you know, it, I, I also knew uh, maybe that's not so practical. Um, And so music education seemed to be the thing that mm-hmm. kind of made sense. And as I got into it, um, I started doing high school band and then the job, it was high school band and then it came with some middle school general music. Right. And I had some classes in school and I liked what I did in my teacher training program with general music, but I really thought high school band was where it was at. And so this other stuff, you know, was kind of on the side. I really always hated the idea of wasting people's time um, and wasting kids time. And this idea that this general music class was just going to be a time filler for kids, right. just did not sit well with me. <laughs> so I wanted to really, really do something with it. Um, and so even some of the things we were doing today, you know, trying to record, now we've got iPads and we've got great software programs. Then we had this little mini disc recorder mm-hmm. we were doing, and we would do a soundtrack and we would play the VHS tape at the same time as we had the computer <laughs> playing the other stuff. But it, but it worked, you know, because right. it's not about the technology, you know, it's about the creativity and that, that creation piece. Um, so I started getting into that, and, and I, I really loved doing the genre music there at my first job. Um, I got my master's degree. Once again, I went towards band, and I thought, I, I really wanna do band. Just things didn't line up. And then the more I got into this general music world, really, with middle school and then coming down to elementary, I I just feel like this is where all the pieces come together. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent a couple summers here at Bexley uh, teaching summer reading and summer math. And it it wasn't music at all, but I felt like I had that same feeling of creativity and really getting the kids engaged and i feel like at the elementary level particularly with general music i'm able to bring in all these pieces mm-hmm. so it's it's not just music you know it's just everything but it's through that music lens um and i and i feel like looking back i just i couldn't do that with with high school band and nothing against high school band you know it's a great mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. Um, but that's yeah, it's just been a good fit for me here.
1: That's good. Well, and you can tell that it's a good fit because you clearly love what you do. It comes out in every single post that you make. And granted, <laughs> we're all culling, right? We, we put out there the things we want the world to see. But the reality yeah. of it is, you know, you can see it in the classroom. And one of your little kiddos whispered to me on the way out, said, well, you know, Mr. Manchester is the best teacher here. <laughs> So you know the kids know, right, and they also know they, they, they know when when adults believe in them, and they know when you're not just going through the motions, right you know mm-hmm. and so um, what what a great opportunity. So I want to talk a little bit about sort of what's the strategy that you have been utilizing. I mean, the kids are very technologically savvy. Mm-hmm. You no, know, to your point, back when you did this as a kid, <laughs> right? You know, it was the VH. It was, it was the tape that we played and then we recorded oh, yes. and you did yes. it all together. I mean, these, these kiddos you know, got to talk to me about how they were recording their podcast, right. which was pretty darn fun, and what software they were using and what their strategies were. And so they're really, they're savvy.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: you have to be pretty savvy, too. And quite frankly, you know, there, there are some teachers that are awesome with technology and other teachers that are terrified with technology and a whole group, of course, in the middle. But you have to balance a lot because the music and entertainment industry is moving really, really fast. And I would assume that that has the potential to turn up in the work that you do.
0: Uh, yeah, well, I hope it does. Uh, you know, I think we are getting on to these other things. I mean, there's been... Artists are talking about releasing a track, not as a static thing, right. but, you know, with all these stems that each person can kind of produce. And, and there's been some of that done, you know, I think the more that gets me to dream. So just to say, mm-hmm. yes, that is happening. I hope to see it more. And, and it is that mix of thinking about what, what particular thing do I bring to them? You know, there are some things that they can play around with on their own mm-hmm. and they can just kind of figure it out. And then other things where I feel like the technical expertise, you know, the training that I have as a musician, that isn't something they can just pick up messing around with.
1: Right. And
0: so how do I give them those pieces, you know, with with the technology they can figure out, how do I give them those technical pieces that aren't going to be the kind of learned by osmosis kind of things.
1: Well, and what do you do with... I mean, even as a, in a very young group of kiddos, I mean, what do you do with the sort of the theoretical components to your point, right? Yeah, the yeah. music itself, you can teach them and you can teach them to appreciate it, but the musicality components, that's, that's a whole nother sort of thing. And so how do you, how do you consciously weave those things at the same time, making sure your kids stay engaged and your kids are wickedly engaged. <laughs> so that's definitely not an issue. But, but how do you, how do you coming all the way back around to the fact that we are talking? About a program that's living in a school. It's a deliverable. It's an outcome that your community, your families, everybody has. It has rigor to it. Right. I I don't want folks to think, oh, this is just fun, because there's true rigor happening in this classroom at a really high level. So, how do you manage all of that?
0: Yeah. And, And I think about that a lot because there is, there can be this tendency that, you know, we have this student led label on something and then suddenly it's okay if it's, not that great or not that high quality because like, well, they're just kind of discovering it. And I think we're really doing a disservice to let them stay at this low level just because that's where they're at right now. Right. Um, But I think it's a mix of we find where they are, push them a little bit more. My theory teacher, well, a guy that I worked with in grad school, his approach to music theory was it's a need to know basis. Mm -hmm. And so you know, the, the Neapolitan chord, maybe you don't really need to know that unless you're writing in that style that really calls for it. But to just be able to rattle that off doesn't really do anybody any good. And so his point was, you know, as, as you progress as a musician, there are things like notation and theory and chord progressions that you're going to need to know. But until you get to that, you don't. And so I feel like even in, yeah, at this fifth grade, I have kids that they're reading music, they're playing these instruments, they need to know these things. And so there's some differentiation there, whereas other kids, it's enough for them to just see, well, I put this loop with this loop and that maybe sounds good. And even challenging them, how can we find two loops that sound good on top of each other? And that's a very basic theory. So, you know, I think there's a lot of differentiation to that. Also, I guess I I think about I have this piano student now um, and it's been the best like piano teaching experience (laughs) ever. And I've taught piano lessons kind of on and off since a teenager. Um, he just comes in and I'm like, what have you worked on? And he just plays some stuff he's worked on. And then I show him, well, here's how you get on to the next measure with it. You know, he'll, well, I've got the first 15 measures and well, here's measure 16. Right. Um, and then sometimes he'll have an idea about how to play. You know, he's doing some dramatic tempo shift or something, you know, in a very classical piece. And then I say, well, you could do it like that. That's not, you know, that's not the given thing. And you just want to make that choice consciously. And right. so for kids too, you know, at this level, especially, they're not afraid of anything. Right. <laughs> so they put up this crazy stuff. And my, I think my first step is, are you making this choice consciously? If you're going to go outside of the bounds of what is normal, theoretically, I want you to understand it and then make it a, a conscious choice.
1: So as you help kids sort of work their way through that process, that is very much design thinking. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely the design cycle. Yes. Not just in action, but put to music. (laughs) Pretty good, don't you think? There you go. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, And so, I mean, so where or how are you able to sort of bring some of those components back in? And I guess really the crux of the question that I'm asking you is so music class for the sake of music class is awesome, in the same way that art class for art class is awesome. But the best music and the best art often are the things that are tangible. I can touch them in the sense that they actually have meaning for me. They're tied back to something else I'm doing. Um, so in, within a school setting, how is it that you sort of interplay where you have an entire building full of colleagues, yes. all teaching Everything under the sun, because uh, the building that we are in for our listeners is a K twelve, yeah. and so this particular setting has all the kids, all the teachers, all the content, all the requirements on the backside. And so, so how do you, as the very engaging music teacher, and in many ways, what's happening here is the best um, illustration of a problem based environment. I mm. a very very wise music teacher um, that I met many many years ago um, out um, in a. Project I was doing out west, and we were talking about problem-based learning and why it was so important. And it didn't matter what your discipline was; that it's just it's that transition from, you know, kids in a row to an applied teaching and learning environment, which is a what the kids love, but b what the teachers love, and at the end has much better outcomes. We know that it does, but it's it's not what we traditionally often identify as school. And it was the music teacher stood up in this mix of these, you know, all of these teachers at this big, giant workshop. Thank goodness we don't do them like that anymore. <laughs> and who said, look, you know, I'm the choir teacher. And as the choir teacher, I am here to tell all of you that we've been living in this problem-based world for a really long time. Yeah. And I can prove it to you. Because if we were still doing Christmas carols at Easter time, you would all point out to me that I failed. <laughs> yeah right so so yeah. so where where's the where's the intersection in a setting like the one that you're teaching in as it relates to the way you teach and how everybody else teaches
0: yeah, yeah, and that that is a challenge, yes, I've often felt like if I got have a school where I just taught everything,
1: you know, it would be <laughs> so much easier
0: to integrate, but the reality is we've got teachers with great math ideas, we've got teachers with great reading ideas and yeah, we want to bring those all together and skills, you know, that far that exceed mm-hmm. what I have in this discipline. So there is some, you know, some general things that we're trying to, you know, that we're trying to do and think about even talking to the kids about how does this apply, you know, the kind of design cycle. We, we have some specific things. So it's interesting, the, the scene that we were acting out mm-hmm. today in the class, it's from a book called Front Desk. And that's part of the global read-aloud mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for this year. So you may have heard of that. Yep, yep. Um, and so the kids, it was interesting because the, the first class I had today, they've started reading the book. The other class hadn't started it yet. Um, and so for the second class, it was a preview right. of, of kind of putting it together. And so getting to explain some of those characters, I, I think, was good for them. And then when they go to read that book, they've they've got these memories. The kids got these things. And then for the first class, it's a review. And it's kind of putting some emotion behind you know what they heard, um, and so I, I do feel like our building is the best I've seen at you know put, having these overarching themes that we can all kind of connect to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I, I've seen that I that I really like here is this reciprocity. I feel like at some buildings, it's you know they approach the music teacher about. Teaching some reading concepts, but they're never going to the reading teacher to teach music. Right. <laughs> but here, um, for the fifth grade, which we had today, they also do a unit on sound after after winter break, and they build instruments, and they're taking hours of class time to build these instruments that the kids will play. And they bring in a guest artist, and and I'm supporting that in my classroom and I'm giving them examples, but that's taking out of their curricular thing. And there's right. there's science principles there, right. there's math, and there's plenty of things. They connect to their disciplines. Um, so it makes it very comfortable for me to say, you know, part of what we did today was, was reading, was reading comprehension. Um, but that works because I know that they're doing music, you know, with their units.
1: So so it works when everybody plays.
0: That's right. Exactly. Right. I mean, that is the key. And certainly at Bexley, we, we have the luxury of, you know, kind of a legacy of succeeding in those ways that, that people measure, you know, which are not always useful or the right. most reliable. But you know, other schools that don't have that track record of success, I think it is harder to trust each other. Um, and and, and we have, that can be a curse too in its sure. own way. But it is easier to trust each other and easy to get everybody to play.
1: Yeah, and just for our listeners who are coming from, you know, all over the country and around the world, um, this is um, a suburban um, school district in the Columbus urban area. It is a well-regarded school district. It's been high-performing for a long time, and it's it's a fairly well-off district. So full disclosure, right, right? Right. So it's a it's a beautiful environment that's conducive to lots and lots of things. But all of that said, what's what's happening in Bill's class and the reason that we're here today is, is really around that level of engagement. And, and that's something that lots of folks struggle with. Even great teachers struggle with how to be meaningful and timely and rigorous and relevant and still be able to do and produce for our students in such a way that they stay engaged with well, you. Yeah. It's not easy.
0: <laughs> no. So, so
1: what are some of the strategies that you use on a regular basis that you think are are successful as it relates to engaging the students?
0: Yeah. Well, I think the the idea of really existing in a community is huge. And it's it's funny. I remember I well, when I switched over to middle school, I had a really tough class and the principal told me I think you should go get some work done with classroom management, yeah. <laughs> which is always a humbling thing to hear. So, and I, I thought, oh, my gosh, it's just these kids, you know, let, <laughs> let's, let's get some ideas. I went to this workshop and they were really talking about group work and mm-hmm. it was from a non-musical standpoint. And it's just crazy. And I, I felt kind of embarrassed because as a musician, we're working in groups all the time. Right. And, and when I think about my favorite musical experiences, it was when we were really working in a group. I mean, so that's something that, that I've taken back. I mean that looks like different things at the elementary level. Something that we do these uh, we do a lot of dances mm-hmm. and, and folk dances and even you know modern dances. But doing it in a way that you're you're together, not you know a line dance where each person's doing their individual part, but where you really have to look at the other person in the eye. You have to depend on them to know their part, or else you're going to run into them. It's not going to work if not everybody follows directions. Right. Um, and I've noticed even with the the toughest classes they They come together when they're doing that they want to do it, they enjoy it, and they they feel that synergy I um, mean so that's the thing and a very specific thing that I do and then I try to you know how what does that look like when we're playing instruments how do i how do I build that same kind of community and and really working together and I found that the more we do, you know sometimes there are things that don't have as high of a you know, curricular focus, but that social emotional piece allows us to do so much more later on. We want to, I have this microphone set up and I I love to get kids up and singing. And I feel like singing or talking, that is a skill to be up in front of a group Mm -hmm, presenting universal skill. Absolutely. So I want to get them up as much as I can, whether it's singing, talking. Um, And I've noticed after we have those experiences where they're, you know they have to hold hands sometimes. Mm-hmm. they have to you know go underneath somebody else. then it's so much easier to get somebody else in front of a microphone. Mm-hmm. they they feel more comfortable, and that builds those skills, even though those don't look connected on paper.
1: Yeah, but those human skills are the skills that will last them a lifetime. Absolutely. Right? And yes. they will, yes. quite frankly, you know, whether you loved school as a kid or you hated school or you were someplace in the middle, the reality is most of the memories as adults that we have of school aren't necessarily school itself, but it's a particular activity right. or it's a particular teacher or mentor that you identify with, maybe your friends. But even oftentimes, if you ask adults, especially as they get older in life, that's not what they will tell you. It's about a thing I did. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's that thing I did and those human skills they will carry with them forever. And they will right. certainly carry them with them as they, they leave K-12 or the experience of emerging workforce, as I like to think about it. Uh, yeah, right. When yeah. we, we talk about what the heck are we preparing these kids for, it's not to be here. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. Let's, and let's be really clear about that, right? Yeah. It's, it's not to be here, it's to move on from here. And so that uh-huh. this just becomes part of that human journey. And so, one of the things that I do love, and I was able to observe this um, <laughs> from stalking you online, <laughs> is that you know, a lot of what I see happening with your kids is they are learning those skills. You can see them work collaboratively, especially Mm -hmm. if you sort of look at your posts over the course of an academic year because you see the same kids repeating, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and I don't know if you've bothered to take a look at what you've posted over the course of a year from a single class. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do it. You Mm -hmm. will actually see from the beginning of the year to the end of the year in some of the things that you've posted, you can actually see individual student growth. It's awesome. It's awesome. And, you know, um, you, you can see those, those, those moments of confidence in those kids. At the beginning of the year, you're coaxing them to that microphone. Yes. As the year goes on, you're now having, they have to take turns. Right. Because they want to go to, and I saw them do that in some of the things you've posted. So, yeah, yeah. So that's huge. Yeah.
0: And it has been neat. Well, you know, what I post on, on Twitter is, is a small part. Yeah. We have a, a seesaw, which is another sharing platform for parents. Um, and so that there's a, you know, I, I post a lot more volume sure, you know, for the sure. for the parents there. And it, yeah, and it is, it is neat to see it. Even occasionally I'll have a parent say, yeah, my kid in the video, I could see in the beginning of the year, they just weren't that into it. But now they want to join choir and they yeah. want to do this and they want to do that. And that's, yeah, that's really cool to see.
1: Well, and that's the win. And again, that's that experiential piece that those students will take away with them. And it's going to be meaning for them uh, down the road in so many ways that we can't even comprehend right now. Yeah. Especially when you roll into the fact that the world that these kiddos that were in your fifth grade class today, you know, these clearly Gen Zers, <laughs> no question. Um, yeah. These these Gen Zers, the, the, the world that they are going to be adults in, we can only contemplate.
0: Right. Yeah. It's
1: it's it's gonna be so very, very different. And so you know, oftentimes I think that we spend a lot of time, and I the reason I ask the question off often with my guests is, what exactly do we think that we're preparing these kiddos for? It's because the the rate and pace of change today is just astronomical compared to what it's been in previous iterations. And so as we think about the work that we're doing with these young kiddos to get them ready for sixth grade or high school or beyond, it's very different than what your teachers were preparing you for. Right. Certainly for me. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, as we sort of think about that and the opportunity that you have, um, you know, I, I, I would like to spend a couple moments, you know, what is it that you imagine for for these kids, I mean, you've been at this 16 years now. You're a veteran teacher. You've had kids get all the way through, right? They're off into the world. What What do you hear back, whether directly or indirectly, though, from the, these, these these broad groups of students that you're now sending off into the world of our community? So, I mean, wow. when you think about when you think about that a little bit, I mean, what what is it that today, when you walk into your classroom and you say, "Hey," I have to have a game plan for this kiddo 10 years from now. Well, what is it that you would say to yourself that that game plan is, I guess? Maybe that's a better way to ask yeah. my
0: question. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's big an issue. And I actually, I have a 16-year-old daughter. Um, and so I think about it a lot for her, mm-hmm. too. You know, she's starting to transition, you know, whatever is after high school, college. So I find myself thinking about that, you know, on a very personal level. And I think, yeah, even for me, you know it's it's not the thing where I'm going to do the same job for my whole career mm-hmm. and and I think for these kids, too, even if they wanted to, you know the world's going to be changing, things are going to be coming in and out and and too I, I I guess I think about experiences that we don't have to wait for right And when i was when I was a teenager, there was music that I was writing and things that I was producing, and I had no outlet to publish it. Mm-hmm in any kind of formal way, you know, any any kind of exposure. And now kids do. Yeah. And you don't have to get a journalism degree or you don't have to have some kind of connection. You know, you can start wherever you are.
1: You can start your own YouTube channel. That's right. That's you, right. You can be that rock star, <laughs> yes. even if it's in your own mind. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. But you can literally put yourself out there.
0: Right. And I think, you know, something that I, I think a lot about is just this iteration. And it, it takes over and over again, you know, to really get to that quality level. Right of anything. Right. And and there was a, a point when I felt it was kind of, it, it didn't feel like it was worth anything when I was a teenager to put all this work in. You know, I, I did the, the tapes like you talked mm-hmm. about and I would re-record, you know, record the track on top yeah. of the track, but it didn't sound that great. Right. And, you know, what's the point? Who's going to listen to this? Maybe I pass it to my friends. Right. <laughs> but even if that, um, you know, we couldn't, even burning a disc, you know, was a big deal. So, yes, yeah, just teaching them there's this point of, of getting at that now so that you can do all that iterating you can develop those skills and there's an audience there's a feedback loop where you can grow and that can be that doesn't need to be inside of a formal structure right. either you know i think there's so many skills that there are some universities that are trying to meet um, but i'm not even sure I'm not sure they're made to do that. Well, they're not made to do that. They're not
1: made to. That is a good point. They are not made to do that. And I'm not sure they can be
0: retrofitted to do it. Nor should they. Right. And so I I think, you know, that's, you know, with these podcasts, with the recording stuff that we're doing in class, you know, I like the kids to learn, hey, I can do this now. I can start figuring out how to make these things happen. I can spend my time and, and even, you know, being a creator instead of just a consumer. Right. I mean, I can start to develop these skills and it can be what I love. You know, like my daughter, she's, you know, very into Instagram and those videos. And so even this summer working with her, I had some, some little social media projects that I was doing and, you know, she loved it. I take a video, I make a post on Instagram and that, that's a job. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, right. Um, and that's, you can develop those skills right now um, and it very, it's fun and it's useful. So I think that's what I want to show kids is we don't you don't have to wait to start doing these jobs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, do it's, them right now. It's now, right. Yeah. Yeah do, yeah, do them right
0: now. That is awesome. Yeah, and from a practical I mean, and I think for me there's so much that if I could do it now, I you know, if I didn't have to make a living,
1: <laughs> I could
0: do all kinds of stuff now. And you don't have you don't have to pay the rent. You know, right. do it now what you love. You love it, do it and you know, do it in a way that that moves you forward. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and definitely um I, I We tell people all the time, uh, teachers in particular, teach your passion. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I also, I'm, I have a 15-year-old son, okay, so I yeah. totally understand, right? Uh, and you know when we have the conversation, and we never at my house have the conversation about what do you want to be when you grow up? Because I don't think that's the right question to ever ask <laughs> the children. Um, uh-huh. But we have the, the conversation about what's your passion? What, what, what is it that you love right now? Yeah. Right? And could we explore what you love right now? And I don't express it to him in the same terms that you just laid out for us, but that's really sort of the intent is let's explore this thing that you love so that you can figure out do I want to love this thing forever and as a potential career or do I want to love this thing and now I know how to do it and it'll always be part of me and I'm going to move on and try something else. Yes, yes. That's a tough thing. It's a tough thing for kids, but I think it's also oftentimes a very tough thing for teachers to feel enough freedom and space, right? And I, I use that word very deliberately because I think that, um, you know, as as we sort of wrap what we're doing on any given day and even in this podcast interview, I always ask, what's that last lob? And, and oftentimes what the feedback that I get from folks who listen, a lot of teachers is, gosh, I just wish I had the space to do what Bill is doing. <sighs> and the reality is, What I often will tell teachers is you have to find ways to make the space for yourself. Because if you wait for the permission, it may never come. And not because Mm -hmm. nobody wants you to do it, but because it may or may not ever occur to somebody else to to help you find your own space. Right, right. So yeah. so, what's the last lob that you would give to teachers who are sitting here listening, thinking, wow, that's really cool. I want to do that. Or, or somebody who's young, who's contemplating, should I become a music educator? Because the reality is we need more teachers and we need great teachers. And yes. there's room for more teachers. Right.
0: And I guess I would, maybe I'll, I'll take that last part of it first. And I just... Um, yeah, so many people, you know, people say, "Well, you would not recommend somebody being a teacher?" And I say, "Yes, I would, <laughs> absolutely. Yes, if somebody wants to be a teacher, I think they should be a teacher." And even that, you know, when my mom went to Iowa State and got a degree in special ed, you know, what somebody will do now is going to look very different than yeah. that. And I think what I'm what I'm doing now looked different than what I was trained to do. Yeah. And, and so, I, what I would tell teachers is or people that want to be teachers, you know, it doesn't mean you, you are a teacher like what you've seen before. We're going to need teachers that, really, I don't know, we may not have a lot of just music teachers anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to need people that can do music and math and reading, and we can integrate things yeah. um, and, and that, that design cycle and that, you know, that big picture. And, yeah. and so I would really encourage people, you know, don't get into teaching because you love music, you know, you, you got to love to teach and then you're going to pull all these other things. To it. And if music is one of the mediums that you that you love to do it in, that's great. Um, and, I, and I think that's that's yeah, that's my biggest advice is we mm-hmm. need teachers that that love to teach and love that process of creation and iteration and, and all those things. And in some ways that aren't tied to a discipline. Right. And it could be more broadly. So, yeah. And then as far as like doing that wherever you are, um, I have taught. I mean, I've been at Bexley for a while, um, but before that, I was in very different districts. And I do think I've certainly grown as a teacher mm-hmm. and I do different things now, but it, it, what I'm doing now, I I feel like I've always done some flavor of this. And there were schools that were very concerned about how are our students progressing academically. Um, but when they saw what I was doing, There was never any pushback Mm -hmm. Um, because there's a value there. And we can see that this is still getting us where we want to go and maybe even more and faster on all those other things that we measure that this is going to get us there too. And so, yeah, I I think that there's probably more freedom than a lot of people realize. Like you said, nobody's going to give you the permission uh, to go out there. And that looks different for everybody and wherever Mm -hmm. you're at.
1: And the industry as a whole is changing, right? Because, yes. because the needs, the outcomes that we must have, they're not even just needs. When I think about the sort of global scale and what's happening, yeah. whether it be our, our global economy, the environment, you know, take your pick. The reality of it is the, the flip side of this K-12 or even the PK-16 experience is we, we have a very different need than we've ever had before. Yeah. And because of that, it is causing or should cause the industry to change pretty radically, yes. right? And to your point, what we are looking for are amazing facilitators of learning. Yes, yes. Right? And that's a very different thing than just being a teacher. It's, it's more. Right. And it, it's not more and more work. It's more in this, your own internal skills, I think, that you draw on to bring to the daily activity yeah. It is being a teacher. Absolutely. Yeah, so mm-hmm. um, lots of great things to come. So thank you, oh. Bill, very much for sharing part of your uh, journey with us, in particular your classroom, your students, but uh, most specifically your passion. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back and lean in to reimagine education.